Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. How much do you understand the workforce trends happening, particularly in the customer service and contact center industry? Are you taking actions now to stay innovative and relevant as the competitive environment is getting complicated and challenging? My guest today, Peter Ryan, a market analyst and advisor for companies in the contact center service ecosystem, shares his views about CX delivery models, such as Gig CX, which is booming. We also talk about some bold moves by companies like Frontier Airlines who remove the option for people to call customer service for help. Is that a smart move? Or does that put the company at a competitive disadvantage? What are other brands doing that we can learn from in the digital age where technology can enhance experiences, yet some are not maintaining a human element during customer interactions? And I personally think that's a mistake. Listen and form your opinions. Tell me what you think as we're all learning together, as artificial intelligence, chatbots, and robots are changing the way we live and work. Please share this episode with others. Subscribe to Doing CX Right on your favorite podcast channels and leave me a review. Feedback is a gift. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Peter Ryan. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Well, it's great to be here, Stacy. Thank you very much. I'm suffering from a bit of a cold right now, so if my voice sounds hoarse, um, apologies. It sounds worse than it actually is, but I, I couldn't be happier to be here. Oh, I'm glad. Any any version of Peter Ryan, I'm glad to have. <laughs> the healthy and the one that's getting cured. Well, you know, here's hoping I'm on the road to recovery. It's been a tough few days and I've gotten to know the VIX NyQuil and DayQuil very, very well. Ah, uh, yes. Well, let's get started into who are you? What do you do professionally? Sure. So. I work as a, I suppose you could call it market analyst slash advisor for companies that work in the contact center services ecosystem. That could be technology firms, that could be outsourcers. Uh, Equally speaking, I do a lot of work right now with development agencies in different jurisdictions that are looking to try and attract contact center investment to their particular locations. And I've been doing this on my own now for about six years, just coming up past six years. Prior to that, I worked for a while as we were chatting before we hit record for an outsourcer. And I did that for about 12 months, uh, really enjoyed it, but, but wanted to get back into the analysis and advisory work. And I got my start as a contact center analyst in the early 2000s working in the UK when I was living in London with a company called Data Monitor. And it's a funny story because I was looking for a job. London at that point was was really booming. There was lots of employment opportunities, but I'd worked with Data Monitor previously in a, in a past life when the company I was with was a client of theirs. And I saw that they were posting an ad for a market analyst. I thought this might be a good fit. So I applied. 
few days later, I got a telephone call from the recruiter asking if I'd like to join their CRM team. I said, I'd be very interested in, in looking at that. Yeah, absolutely. So she scheduled an interview. The first thing I did when I got off the telephone was I went to Yahoo, and I stressed Yahoo, not Google, because Google hadn't become a thing at that point. And I typed in, what is CRM? I had no clue. And uh, I did a crash course before my interview, was very lucky to get hired by a wonderful group of people. The, the team I worked with was, was outstanding, maybe the one of the best teams I've ever worked with, but, but that really was a great fit, both in terms of my coworkers and the industry, and haven't looked back. Mm, it's funny you're Googling it, you're Yahooing it, because yeah. uh, when I did my uh, master's, my MBA, my thesis is was, what's the internet? <laughs> That's a pretty big question. It And at that time, yes, it was a very big question. And when I go back and read it now, it's hilarious. But that's a different topic for a different day. Let's talk about your why. Why this career choice? Why this passion around contact centers? It's funny because somebody said to me one time, and I I would tend to agree, that nobody aspires when they finish their MBA like you did and like I did. Uh, or or any type of certification that they're going to get into the contact center business. I, I don't think that you would see too many people saying that they were planning to make it a career. I had worked in a number of different industries prior to getting involved with CX. I, I'd been involved in the banking space when I was living in Ireland. Uh, I did some work in in pure market research as well for a market research agency I worked in computers. I was uh, at Gateway. You might remember Gateway Computers, a, a wonderful company, a great brand. And I might add, treated their employees like gold. I, I've rarely seen an organization up close that was as good to its team as Gateway. And I also worked in forest products. And I enjoyed all of them to varying degrees. But when I got into the contact center space, the reason I decided to stay was because I'd never felt so at home in a particular sector. One of the things that struck me was that people you could very easily form professional relationships with that would very quickly become social relationships too. You you would you you found that people in contact centers had varying degrees uh, of interests or had had varied interests, but you were always able to find common ground and Probably for me, one of the reasons that I've decided to, to stick with it and, and, and have done so with such a, a degree of enthusiasm is because of the people who I interact with. And it's not a case of I know some of my friends who get up in the morning and the biggest point of dread of their day is turning on their computers and opening their email. I'm excited because the people I work with, the people I deal with as clients, as colleagues, I really, really like them. Mm. What's a fun fact that many people might not know about you? A fun fact that most people might not know about me, I have been, as long as I can remember, probably one of the most passionate, how would I put this? Uh, I don't want to say gurus, but, but, but certainly enthusiasts around 1980s culture. So whether it's the films, whether it's the fashion, the music, the TV programs, 
the, the fast food, you name it. I, I'm a glutton for all things 1980s, and I subscribe to many different podcasts and many different blogs dealing with the 1980s. It's something I really love. And as you know, I've I've tried to make my own little imprint into the 1980s nation by running every Friday a 1980s Friday Fun poll on LinkedIn, asking my network and anybody else who's interested, their views on a particular topic as it relates to some of the, the more the more fun elements of the period. Uh, there's a lot of questions about movies, a lot of questions uh, about different bands or different songs. Uh, we, we sometimes delve into other areas as well about pop culture, but it's really been great for developing LinkedIn engagement. And we consistently get a few hundred votes each week, uh, depending on the poll. So, it, as I say, it's a lot of fun, and I, I really value that. Outside of the 80s, I'm a huge Cold War fan, a Cold War buff, I guess you could say. And uh, that has been an interest of mine since university. I've had the chance to visit different parts of the world, and I've had the chance to get involved in a podcast related to the Cold War called Cold War Conversations, where I act as a, as a guest host sometimes. And I'll just do a quick shout out to uh, Cold War Conversations. There's my little coaster there that you can see. Those are two fun facts, and um, they, they will hopefully remain fun for a long time. So let's get to the meat of the show here. You have focused a lot of your time and energy on emerging CX delivery models. First of all, what yeah. does that even mean? Well, emerging CX delivery models can take on a lot of different forms. The reality is when you, you talk to somebody who's not part of our sector and ask, what does it mean to work in a contact center? or What does it mean to receive service? They probably think of a, a massive gray building that's got thousands of workstations in it that could be around the corner uh, and, and effectively somebody picking up the telephone and answering a question. And, and the reality is that that might have been applicable a decade and a half or two decades ago. It's very different now. Emerging delivery models could mean in an individual certainly working in the near shore, in the offshore. It could mean an individual working out of their home, just literally around the corner from where you might live. Uh, it might mean as well somebody working on more of what we call the gig basis on a per transaction or a per interaction element as well. Uh, the, the reality is how contact center work is done is no longer nine to five, earning a specific salary or an hourly wage. It's got so many different ways of being handled. I emerging delivery models could also take into account technology. Again, it's not just somebody picking up the telephone. It's somebody who might be handling a transaction or an interaction via email, via web chat, social media as well. And I think what it comes down to is that the industry is so much bigger in terms of how service is delivered than it was when I first got involved with it back in the early 2000s. And the emergence of different ways of managing interactions has been a big part of why that is the case. Wow. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. And there is, yeah. let's go a little bit deeper. So traditional contact centers are struggling to stay relevant and provide value in today's marketplace. Why is that? Do you even agree with that? I agree with it to a point. Look, the reality is the traditional contact center is never going to die. It's never going to go away. It It's... Obituary has been written so many times over the course of my career. But the point is, 
there are always going to be organizations that are going to want to mandate that customer service is going to be delivered from an on-site facility. Now, that might mean an on-site facility in the United States or Canada, where you and I both live. Uh, it might mean one overseas. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that for every organization. Uh, a lot of Companies were proactively adopting work from home or hybrid working even before the pandemic. This is a trend that we saw that the pandemic accelerated, but let's be very clear, it was happening before. At the same time, when I talk to my clients right now from the outsourcing side, and they talk to me about the extent to which their own captive enterprise clients want to see the agents coming back into the center to be delivering service, uh, it's not a small amount. I think we're trying to find a balance in terms of what the in-center delivery is going to look like relative to work from home. But let's be very clear that the traditional contact center, well, I think there has been a requirement to make some changes and to a large extent, some changes have been made by most organizations. It's not going away. It's not going away, but I see the trend of augmentation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the trend, you talk about flexibility and working from home. Of course, that's a trend, but even bigger than that is not just about where we work, it's when we work. It's when we work, but let's be abundantly clear too that the the flexibility that, that the agents are looking for is, I think, going to be coming into, uh, I don't want to say the earth colliding with what the requirements of the enterprises or the outsourcers actually are. But I think we're looking for that balance, Stacey. You know, the, the fact of the matter is organizations looking to employ contact center agents are going to need to figure out how they can find this type of equilibrium to make sure that while the agents are going to be looking for flexibility in where they work and the hours that they're working. There's also going to be requirements from the employer's side. And this is what I see as a major challenge going into 2023. The fact that we still haven't found that happy medium, we still haven't found that balance. And somebody was talking to me earlier today about this, and I was saying, look, there's no magic bullet. There is no magic potion or, or formula. You can't rub a bottle and a genie's going to come out and say, this is how you do it. It's going to depend on the organization in particular. It's going to depend on their culture. It's going to depend on the industry and what compliance requirements are. And it's also going to depend uh, potentially on geography as well. So there's a lot of factors that I think that we're going to have to start considering as CX professionals as we look to try and figure out what can be done to make sure that we can recruit and retain the best people, while at the same time making sure that the requirements of the enterprise are going to be met and are going to be exceeded. Mm -hmm. What's your view on Frontier Airlines that just uh, got rid of their telephone customer service? What What's your opinion on this? And is this a trend or a test? You know, it's one of those things that could go really, really, really well, or it could go really, 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 really bad. My opinion on it, and to be perfectly clear, I've not spoken to anybody from Frontier about the decision. I, I only know what I've read in the popular media. I, I can tell you, and I think that you would agree that the reaction on LinkedIn has not been great from CX mm -hmm. professionals. There's been a lot of concerns about this. And I would suggest that 
if they feel that they've got the technology in place to manage all the interactions that are going to be need needed to be addressed over the course of the holiday season without using voice, that's great. I, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be watching this very closely. Personally, I see a lot of potential holes in this approach. Uh, I, I would suggest it, it's a long-time user of contact center services. Uh, there's some great professionals who work in CX at Frontier. So uh, obviously, this is a decision they would not have made lightly. And I, I really hope it goes well for them. But as I say, as a market analyst and as somebody who, who has been assessing the market over the course of the past nearly 20 years, my suggestion would be that that voice is not going away anytime soon. In fact, you talk to some individuals in our space and they'll say actually voice is going to grow in terms of demand. So all the best to Frontier and all the best to their passengers. We'll just be watching in eager anticipation to see how this plays out. Mm. What other workforce trends are you predicting? We know you mentioned earlier about gig CX, gig work. Yeah. To talk about that. Not everybody really knows what that means. So gig working is an interesting one. And I'm starting to notice that companies that are championing this model are, are quietly moving away from the expression gig. I mm -hmm. think when a lot of people in the general public think about gig working, the things that come up are working for Uber or working for a food delivery service. And, and, and the reality is in, in CX there is an extent to which you might be able to draw some very loose parallels. But the idea around gig working or on-demand working in CX would be that an agent would be remunerated based on the interaction that they'd successfully been able to manage. Now, I think that this definitely has a lot of applicability. Is gig going to be the be-all and the end-all? Is it going to solve all CX issues? No, it's not. But I think that the smart companies that are undertaking gig as uh, their modus operandi are very clear that gig does have its limitations. There are some transactions or there's some interactions where it will apply very well. Uh, there are some industries where they'll be able to take advantage and leverage gig in, in a great manner, but it isn't necessarily going to be ubiquitous. It's not necessarily going to be able to satisfy all the different sectors. It's not going to be able to satisfy all the types of interactions that are going on. But in terms of how we're looking at gig as a business model, I can tell you if I was to compare where it was two years ago versus today, it's now becoming an actively promoted element of the CX mainstream, where it might have been seen as a little more niche or cutting edge, say, going into 2020. Mm. Well, given where I work by day, I'm a believer in it. I'm curious what you mean by you stated that many companies are getting away from the term gig CX. Tell me more about that. Why? Look, the reality is that the term gig working, I don't necessarily think has had the most positive connotation over the course of the past couple of years. If you take a look at legislation that's been brought in across the uh, European Union, if you take a look at the extent to which it's come under scrutiny in the United States and Canada in terms of how employees are remunerated, the, the benefits that they might be uh, able to recoup or not recoup that they otherwise would have in a salaried environment, these have all been 
factors in, in, in the media that might have soured people on the expression. Now, it's unfortunate that that might be the case, but but the reality is I, I don't think that gig working or the expression gig working is necessarily seen by everybody as, as a positive thing. So I also think that when we're talking about how this business model is being applied in CX, there's a much more professional approach that people take when it comes to on-demand working. I mean, Stacey, you and I have talked in the past uh, offline about this, and and the fact of the matter is that if you're somebody working in this business model, odds are you're very passionate about the brand that you're looking to support. You're mm-hmm. being brought in because you know everything about it. You want to do a great job. You want to be effectively a brand ambassador. And mm-hmm. that brings a whole level of positivity and enthusiasm that's going to filter through, that's going to permeate that interaction, and it's going to reinforce the relationship that the end consumer has with that brand. And mm-hmm. to my mind, that's taking that's taking this type of, of workforce model to a whole new level than just simply gig working. Uh, effectively, we are talking about ambassadorship. We are talking about that ability to, to really become the extension of the brand when you're the representative who is going out and, and supporting a consumer with a question that they might have around a product or a service. Someone said to me their perception of gig work, gig CX, is lower skilled talent. And that's not necessarily the case at all. But I think that is part of why the term needs some changing. What's your view? Yeah, I I think so. And I I think you're right. I don't think it's an accurate depiction. Uh, It's not lower skilled talent. In in fact, I would argue that in in many, if not most cases, it's actually very high-skilled talent, but it's talent that people are coming to the table with because of the fact, as we mentioned before, they've got such such enthusiasm about the brands that they are looking to support. I mean, Stacey, look, if I was to ask you or, or anybody in our cadre, our professional cadre, name three or four brands that you're passionate about. Everybody could probably name three or four. For me, there's a few of them. Adidas, the sportswear company, would be one. I say this as I'm wearing a champion jersey. They're great, too. But... Um, <laughs> You know, if somebody was to talk to me about supporting Adidas, I would probably be able to do it in terms of understanding what they do, what they supply, uh, sizings and so forth, because I live and breathe. I love buying their stuff. American Express is another one. I I think it's an absolutely amazing company with some amazing financial services products. And I would be remiss if I would not be able to get up and be able to support them if I was in a position to do so in an on-demand workforce manner. And, and, And you look at this, I'm just one example, and you multiply that out by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who could be able to pick up the ball and run with a technology product, with a travel service, you name it. And this is where the gig or the on-demand workforce really comes into play because it's being able to leverage that level of energy that people have and the knowledge base they might have already acquired when they can come in and, and provide that support, whether it's a voice or a digital interaction. I want to give some kudos to a mutual friend, David Powers. Yes. Because this is exactly what we're talking about. Can you shed some light for a moment on him and and this point? I mean, I think when you look at David, he is the contact center manager for Rotor Hero, which is I think the fastest growing plumbing network in the Western United States. And David has really 
picked up the ball and run with it in terms of managing a team of people, a growing team of people. And 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 what I think is interesting too is, is as he puts it, when you're calling up a plumbing company, you're probably calling because it's not good news. You need help pretty fast. It's like when you call your insurance company, you're not calling for a chat. And what he's been able to do is, is in my view, bring a level of positivity and enthusiasm to his team of agents so that when they get some, quite frankly, fairly distressing calls, they're not only able to manage them, but they're able to do so in such a fashion that it's compassionate, it's positive, and it reinforces to the individual who's making the call who might, as David said, have, have raw sewage coming out of uh, their, their kitchen sink to let them know that help is on the way. And where he's come from to be in the role that he's in is truly admirable. Yeah, and and I I I wouldn't want to to talk too much about David's own personal journey. I think that'll be a, a possibility for you to do so on a future podcast. But David's very clear that it was the CX and contact center industry that really, uh, in many ways, uh, gave him a, a new lease on on life and, and a new hope. And it's one of the good news stories in our sector. And, and he's truly a credit to our space. With that in mind, purpose, purpose brands, do yeah. you see that as a workforce trend, a culture that for 2023 and beyond, that people are really gravitating, buying from, choosing brands that are purpose-driven? I think so. Um, you know, social responsibility at the consumer level has always been something that, that that's out there, whether it's buying more green-orientated brands or buying from companies that, that tend to take a more proactive view on ESG or animal rights, I think this is going to become even more of a factor. If I'm honest with you, though, Stacey, I think one of the biggest challenges will be for organizations that do take this approach to make sure that in a period of, of high inflation and high price points, that their products and services are going to be as accessible as those that perhaps might not be as socially responsible. Let's be perfectly frank. Um, there's a lot of people who are hurting out there right now and going for, 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 for purchasing, whether it's groceries or services or, or products in general, something that might be lower priced in order to save a little bit of money can make a big difference to their lives. And I think that we've got to be very wary of that. And this is where I think the purpose-driven brands have to make sure that if they're going to be marketing themselves in that purposeful manner, that they're going to be equally as accessible as they can. Mm. I will say that the purpose culture is what drew me to where I work. And it's not just social responsibility. It's also experiences for employees, for agents, for clients. So that's a, another topic, but I personally believe that it's growing in importance. As we're getting close to the end, can you give me one more workforce trend that you see happening? Well, I, I think in terms of a, a big workforce trend, at a more macro level that we need to be conscious of is that the great resignation, as it was being called earlier this year, the this, this lack of labor in the workforce, we should anticipate that's not going to go away in 2023. You know, there's a lot of people that have chosen not to re-enter the workforce for a variety of reasons, and there's not going to be some type of... Uh, 
magic wand that's going to be run across the calendar when we hit January the 1st and all of a sudden there's a lot of people who are going to be coming back in to work in the service space. It's just not going to happen. And to my mind, what this is going to mean is that the contact center sector, whether it's the outsourcers or it's the captive operators are going to need to be very conscious about the type of talent that they're looking to recruit mm. and how they're going to make the best possible effort to retain them. And it's funny because I was chatting with my co-host of the CX Files, Mark Hillary, a few minutes ago, and something that Mark said that really resonated with me, it can't be like the pizza parties every other Friday. That's not going to make people want to stick around. There's got to be real fundamental rethink about how the CX space looks to manage good people. And to my mind, it's going to mean something that you and I've talked about, more flexibility, the opportunity to work the hours that they're looking for, obviously holding people to very high standards, but making sure that there's an effort to demonstrate that there's a flexibility that they're looking to try and, and develop. And I would add, as you said, the word effort, we have to make it a lower level of effort for the agents yeah. and that agent experience. That I see as a huge, important trend and action that will differentiate. It, you know, it's funny that you mentioned this too, because I, I, I think to one of my favorite films of all time, Office Space, and anybody who started their careers in the 1990s could probably relate very closely to that movie. And just the idea about how individuals are walking into a, a very unpleasant environment, not being stimulated, having challenges in terms of their coworkers as well as their supervisors. The reality of today's CX labor force is that they're just not going to tolerate that. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to tolerate that. I wouldn't want to be somebody who doesn't look forward to walking into their job, who is going to be counting down the hours and the minutes until their shift is over. There's got to be some type of an effort, as you say, to take that effort out and to make it the most pleasant experience possible where people can grow and build a career. Yeah. Oh, we could do another hour on this topic, but we're going to come to an end on this one. So last few questions, leadership. What's the best leadership advice you've been given or you've given to someone else? Best advice I have, I wasn't given directly, but... It's a bit of a funny story. I was watching an interview with the former Prime Minister of Australia, Paul Keating, uh, a few years ago. And I used to live in Australia, so I've got a bit of a connection with the country and the personalities there. And something that Keating was talking about, the best piece of leadership advice he'd ever gotten was when he was in his mid-20s and he was speaking with a former political leader in the country. And the leader said to him, you might be a young man, you might be 25, but be very clear, you don't have a moment to lose. And my mm -hmm. advice would be to anybody is take that approach. Just go for it. Don't think I'll do this a couple of weeks from now. Don't I'll do this a few years from now. If you want to do something, if you want to go for something, whether it's your personal life or professional life, you just go for it. You might not succeed. You might make some mistakes, but you learn from it. The point is have no regrets. And tomorrow's not promised to anyone. So there you go. Yeah. What's one takeaway you want people to remember from this conversation? Probably that, look, everything is dynamic. There are no guarantees. There are surprises that come up in our industry. There are surprises that come up in life in general. And I, I think the key is 
to have that dexterity and that flexibility to be able to adapt when you need to. The reality is you can write up a blueprint and some of it might go the way you want it, but you know, events happen and you've got to be as 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 open to understanding that this is going to occur and to be able to adapt as need be. Uh, otherwise, if, if you're too rigid, it's just not going to work out. And I think we've talked about a lot of these things when it comes to the labor market, when it comes to workforce models, when it comes to all aspects about how CX has played out the last two decades and where it's going. Mm. And final question, personal or professional, if you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell the younger Peter? Oh, we would need a few more hours for that one. But <laughs> uh, in, in, in all honesty, probably, probably to have looked a little bit beyond from my comfort zone when I was in my early 20s, maybe to have traveled a bit more, to have gone not necessarily stayed at home uh, for university, but have, have gone to another province or into another country and really just look to try and expand the horizons as much as possible. But at the same time, I think I've turned out okay. Oh, I know you turned out okay. <laughs> no, you're well, too kind. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I know people are going to benefit. And what's the best way to find you and connect with you? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so if anybody wants to come search me out, there's no issue finding me. You can you can see my profile in my 1980s polls and some of my blog posts, uh, photos from travels uh, in business, etc. Uh, equally speaking, my website is www.ryanadvisory.com, and I'm always accessible there. Well, thank you. I appreciate you, and to be continued. You bet. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.